Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be taking some time. We've been reading through the Gospel of Luke together as a church and doing different passages. And this week, actually, on Friday, you'll be reading the passage that we're going to be reading today in the service and studying. So we're going to start off the message today with Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. And I'd ask you to please stand for the reading of the Gospel. It's a church tradition to kind of honor the words of Jesus. And I've got the words on the screen. You can follow along with me if you would like. It says in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Well, suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and get you anything. Buzz off. That's me. I have four kids. If they're in bed, you know, anyway, no. I, Jesus didn't say that. Um, I tell you, even though he'll not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he'll get up and get you what you need, probably just to get rid of you too. Also the words of Chad, not Jesus. Okay. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is a reading from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever known somebody that just inspires you with their faith? Or that when you're around them and they pray, you just, you get this sense, this is somebody who knows God. Have you ever met people like that? into the presence of people like that? A person like that in my life was my grandmother, Dorothy Billington. Uh, Grammy, that's what I called her. And she was just an incredible lady. A few of you here would know of you. Most, would, most of you would not know her. And she passed away in January of 2020. And uh, just before all the COVID stuff actually happened, so my family was able to gather and, and kind of have a funeral and all the things that were going on with that. And so in August of 2020, the things have been kind of wrapping up on her estate, and we were getting ready to sell her house. And so I was getting ready to go on vacation with my family. The closing date was going to be during that time. So I, I drove up to my grandmother's house to do kind of like one last walk through the house to kind of look at things. And everything was pretty much gone, except near the window was this chair. And this was her chair. And when you showed up at her house... Almost any time, if she was awake and you were coming up to the house, you would find her in this chair and one of three things would be happening. Her 
leather-bound, red King James Bible would be on her lap and she would be reading. Or she'd have the chair facing the window, just as you see in the picture here, and she'd be overlooking the river and she'd be praying. Or she'd be watching the Toronto Blue Jays. It's one of the three, pretty much at any time. But as I looked at that chair, I stop and I think just about how how I would just love to sit in her presence. When she would pray, there was a depth to her prayers. You just sense this is somebody who has been with God. And it just inspired me to want to be a person of prayer and to know God better. In the same way I think about the disciples' experience of living and being with Jesus. What would it have been like to be seated with Jesus when he was praying? Communing with the Father. Just imagine, you know, I just kind of imagine what that would be like. As we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke, one of the things that has really struck me is how time and time again there are these references, and I've I've read them all before, but they're kind of popping up of more significance to me at this time, how often we would hear about Jesus praying. In fact, last Sunday, I spoke to you out of two passages in the Gospel of Luke. The first one was Peter's confession of who Jesus really was. When Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, meaning that you are the anointed chosen one that is destined to bring God's rule and reign and life to the world. But what was happening just before then? We read, just before Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say I am? It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked, who do you say I am? Jesus was in prayer. And then we talk about how eight days later, the disciples, a few of them were on a mountain with Jesus and his face begins to become radiant and he's glowing and they get to, to see Moses and Elijah and they hear the voice of God. But what was happening then? It says in Luke 9, 28, 29, this is what we preached from last week. It said, eight days after Jesus said this, when he talked about Peter confessing who he was, he took Peter, James, and John with him and he went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and all those things happened that we spoke out last week. Prayer was present in Jesus' life at pivotal moments in his life. Before he went to choose the 12 apostles and designate those that he would send out to spread his message in the world, it says one of those, Jesus, one of those days Jesus went to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. Again, in other places in Luke we read, it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If you walked around with Jesus, you would find that there were times that Jesus went off and got away and hid from his disciples to pray by himself. There are times he gathered his disciples and prayed with them in his midst. And our passage today begins with one of those moments. It says in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 that Jesus was getting there. He says one day he was praying in a certain place. And it was a moment like this when the disciples were sitting like I might sit with my grandmother. I can't imagine what it would be like to sit with the Son of God and to experience him praying. The one of the disciples, I don't know if he put up his hand or he tapped Jesus on the shoulder or if he kind of made a little cough. <clears throat> but one of the disciples, we don't know who says this. Lord, would you teach us to pray? John taught his disciples how to pray. I want to know more about prayer from you. And this is what Luke's chapter 11 is. is Jesus teaching his disciples, teaching his followers, this is the way to pray. 
And this prayer, known as the Lord's Prayer, some people call it the Jesus Prayer, you call it all kinds of things you want, it's typically the Lord's Prayer, has been the centerpiece of Christian teaching about prayer from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Not only do we find it in here, you can look in other early church documents. There's a, a document called the Didache, which literally in the Greek means the teaching. It was a catechism or a, a series of lessons that early Christians put together to teach people who are converts, you know, what are you supposed to do and what are the kind of things we think about Jesus and morality. And inside of that, the entire Lord's Prayer as we know it is quoted. It's quoted inside of there. And then at the end of it, you know what it actually says? It says, thrice I have it translated in King James English in my Bible software. Basically, it says, three times a day you should pray like this. And I think some early Christians kind of adopted this practice of regular periods of prayer from, you look at Ezra, you look at Daniel, where Daniel had certain times in the day he would pray. That practice of not just praying and thinking you're done for the day, but being aware of God's presence. And in the early church, they said, Jesus' way of praying is so essential. You know, you should pray it often in the day because this is what Jesus taught us to do. So this prayer has been taught and at the heart of what Jesus has thought about prayer from the very beginning of the church. And so today I'm going to do something really simple. We're going to look at the prayer Jesus teaches his followers to pray because this is the Jesus way of prayer. Now, you'll notice that in Luke that it's a little bit shorter because in Matthew there's, another, there's some extra pieces that Jesus had filled out the prayer in inside of there. So we're going to follow Matthew's rendering of the Lord's Prayer today because that's what we're most commonly used to praying when we pray in church. So here are the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, when you pray, say these things. He said, our Father who art in heaven. Our Father one of the central remarkable things in the teaching of Jesus is that he wanted us to realize that God is our Father. In fact, it was so significant that, that the early church not only said, you know, you need to know that God is Father. They said, we're going to preserve a word that Jesus said in Aramaic. It's the word Abba. And so the Greek speakers of the day, they said, we're going to make you learn this word. And have you ever heard the word Abba? You know, they sing good songs, they wear flashy outfits, they're from the 70s. Now, I was going to get a little clip to play of them, but I realized the copyright issues with Google would shut us down. So we're not doing that this morning. But Abba was a word that Jesus used. What does that word mean? Abba is a word that signifies not only that God is Father. Who uses the word Father? Like, my kids never say, Father. My only person that does that is my daughter when she wants to pretend she lives in the 1800s or she's being weird. Father, would you get me some ice cream? <laughs> if you use Father in an endearing way, that's fine. I'm not meaning to insult you, but who uses it that way? What do they say? They say, Dad. Daddy, Dad. And the difference between that term Father and the word Dad signifies that there's affection and proximity and closeness in the relationship. Abba, Abba is that kind of a word. Some people say it means daddy, and it, it can mean that, but it's also used by adults. Like, I, I don't go, dad, dad, to my, to, I didn't go that to my dad, but I'd say dad to him. It's a term of affection and closeness. And Jesus wants us to realize that God wants that kind of relationship with us. We are to feel free to come before God. God is generous to us. Actually, isn't that what happens in the passage right after the prayer in Luke today? 
We talk about like the grouchy neighbor that will give you bread just because you ask. And Jesus says, you know what? You need to have a willingness to be bold and come before God because God wants that. But then right after the grouchy neighbor piece, he says this. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will your good Father give good things to those who ask him? I love this passage because the whole point of this passage says it acknowledges that we as human parents are imperfect, that we don't do it properly, that because of our sin we don't love as we should, and because of our parents' sin, it's very likely our parents couldn't love us entirely as they should have either. And some of you have experienced that God's love from your parents to a greater or sometimes a much lesser degree. And I'm not here to beat up on parents, but the reality is we all sometimes carry blessings from our parents and carry scars from our parents. That's just true. But God is the Father who is better than any father. Maybe if you struggle even to think about your father in terms of relationship to God and that, that bothers you, maybe the early church gave us a gift with the word Abba. If you can't say Father in heaven, say Abba. Be the one who loves me. Be the one who receives me. Because Jesus says, that's the kind of God that God is. That's what the Father is. I'm teaching a class with Linda Neboon. Neboon. Sorry, Linda, if you're watching today. Um, on Wednesday night, it's called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And as part of our, our practice, we're trying to get encourage people to have a couple minutes of silence and stillness with God in prayer. I tell you this story because it relates to something that happened to me when I think about my relationship with God. I was sitting there on one of my mornings, and I was just sitting there, I'm going to sit my timer, i got my devotional book, I'm ready, I'm going to sit in stillness and silence and just be present with God. And the craziest thing happened. I have my dog named Shiloh thought, this is the moment to lick Chad. And I'm like, oh, this is so distracting. I'm just sitting here, I'm ready to enjoy the presence of God. And I was like... My hand's getting wet. I'm like, I'm going to wash my hand before I touch my pen. This is just awful. And I was getting distracted by this. And I actually feel like the Lord used it in that moment to teach me something. He said, I'd have felt the Lord teaching me that as I sit in stillness, what does my dog want? It just wants to be close to me and show love to me. And it got me thinking in my mind, about how when I tuck in my children, particularly my younger ones now, um, it's bedtime. I'll go lay in bed beside them and sometimes Violet will just kind of want to roll up close and I don't need to say anything. But she just wants to be close. Or sometimes I'll sit on the couch and she'll kind of tuck herself in under my armpit. Have you ever had an experience with a child where they want to kind of do that before? Isn't that wonderful? You get, get warm and fuzzies just thinking about it. Here's the thing. We have a heavenly father that wants us to feel that we can come to him freely like that and enjoy his presence, lick his hand. Maybe not that, anyway. <laughs> no, but it's like in the same way that, you know, I wanted to move from the dog to my, to my daughter, actually, but the way that she just wants to be with me sometimes that doesn't need me to say anything and knows that I will welcome her. 
Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that what Luke teaches even in the story of the prodigal son? We have God the Father is one who waits for us and is looking for us to come before we even get there and is excited to see us approach him. The foundation of our life in prayer begins with knowing that we have a God who welcomes us and embraces us and loves us. So then we go from the prayer from our Father, our Father who embraces and loves us to hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your... Now that's not an expression you say every day, isn't it? How are you feeling today, Bill? Pretty hallowed, actually. So the language is a little different than we might be used. But the idea is this, is that God's name would be holy and recognized as being holy. That it would be honored, that it would be revered, that it would be recognized for what it's worth. And how does that happen? How does God's name get hallowed? How does, because that happens when people recognize God. When recognize his work. To pray that God's name be hallowed is to pray that God would act in a way that humanity and people would turn to honor him and see him for who he is and see him for his worth. It's a prayer for God to act among his people in a way that people look and say, their God is great. Their God is awesome. His love and grace is amazing. I want to honor. I want to recognize. I want to follow. That is incredible. And doesn't that dovetail? With the next lines of the prayer where it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the life of a disciple is to pray that we want to see God's reign here. Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven being at hand. And as disciples, Jesus says, we're to pray, let your kingdom come. God, may your will be done in my life. May your will be done in my family. May your will be done in my home. May your will be done as I interact with people. May your will be done in my friends and my neighbors, even in the life of my enemies. God, may we see your rule and your life in our midst. And God, as we see that, people will honor your name. The beginning of the life of prayer begins with these things that are centered around who God is. As I was doing my reading this week, in preparing and thinking about this message, something really kind of struck me is that the structure of the Lord's Prayer kind of almost reflects kingdom principles and reflects what you'd even see in the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, we talk about how there are two tablets, and often we talk about how the first tablet are the commands that center around God. You know, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, those commands. We begin there, and then we go to the second tablet, which is, you know, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill. It's how we interact with each other, the human relation. We start from God, and then we end up with who we are. Jesus taught something similar. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. In the Lord's Prayer, we see this thing that we begin at this point. Jesus teaches us that prayer begins centered on God, God's kingdom, God's place, and God's holiness. And then it moves from there to us. If we begin by seeking God, if we want to know how to pray, it begins by saying, God, you are sovereign. You're the one who receives us. You are to be honored, and we need to see your will happen in our midst. We begin from a place of humility and not self-centeredness in the way of Jesus' prayer. Jesus prayer. 
And but then from there, from the kinging of God's king, coming of God's kingdom, we have that promise, seek first the kingdom, then all these things. We, give, we can pray about all these things. Give us this day our daily bread. Now for Jesus' Jewish followers, they could not help but when they hear the words, give us this day our daily bread, have their minds go back to a story back from the book of Exodus when God's people were coming out of Egypt. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, let me just give it to you in a nutshell. There's so much to it. You have to go read it on your own sometime. But there's this point when God's people have been liberated from Egypt and they're in the desert. And one of the things you'll know about being in a desert is there's not a lot of food in the desert. Just generally true. I've been to a desert before. You don't find fruit trees in the desert typically. It's pretty lean. And so there's this big group of Israelites and they're like, God, we're starving. We're going to die out here. We're going to, we're alone. They're complaining. They're cranky. I hear I get cranky when I'm hungry. They're hungry. They're cranky. I'm hungry. I'm cranky. You know how it goes. And so they're kind of complaining. And in the middle of all that, God says, I will provide for you. And they come out of their tents one morning and they open the door and they look on the ground and they see these little flakes of things. And they go, what's that? And what it was, it was was actually a little food that they could put together and make bread out of. And they called it manna. And you know why they called it manna? Because manna means, what's that? Sometimes I put food in front of my kids and they say, what's that? It's your daily bread, eat it, you know. (laughs) But they would take this, and the neat thing about this story is there'd be enough on the ground, they could each get a container each day, but you couldn't get more than one day's worth at a time because it'd go bad overnight. So every day they would have to get up and get this daily bread. And it was a way of God showing the people of Israel that he was their provider, that he would provide them consistently, but what they needed at the right time. And Jesus tells us that we are to come before God our Father. And when we pray, what does he say? We say, give us this day our daily bread. God, would you please provide for me what I need? What I need in terms of food, what I need to provide for my family, what I need for the concerns I have today, what I need from you, from heaven, your spiritual goodness for me, God. I need... I need from you every day. I'm to come and pray to you every day, God, give me this day. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he says this, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. In old English, we like forgive us our trespasses. Because we've also forgiven our debtors as we forgive others who sin against us. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, this is how you pray. Because the church is to be the place that prays this prayer and lives this life. That we are the place that receives and gives forgiveness. We are to be the place that receives and gives forgiveness. Jesus was really emphatic about both sides of this. In fact, in Matthew, right after the Lord's Prayer is given, Jesus says these words, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, when I read this sometimes, I feel like it's like Jesus like, you know, slap, angry man, in that passage, but I want to remember, we have to go back to the the context of the passage. What has Jesus taught us about our Father? 
says our father is generous and loving and gives good gifts to his children. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to the world to demonstrate God's great generosity in giving forgiveness. And so what Jesus says, if we are his followers, if we are people of the way, how dare we withhold from others what God has generously lavished towards us? That's not the kind of people we're to be. We are to be the people that give those good gifts to each other. We can turn this petition into a threat or we can remember it's a promise. Is that I have offered forgiveness to you so generously lavish it out there because you will continue to receive it. The reality is Jesus taught us to pray this because he knew we'd need to pray this. We need to be the people that offer forgiveness because there will be times that I need to forgive you and you need to forgive me. This is such a humbling prayer. And it, it helps humble me because I can think, yeah, I need to be prepared to forgive others. I need to be prepared to forgive Bill. And I'll pray that, Lord, forgive my sins. As I forgive Bill, I'm not withholding on Bill. But here's the thing in the community of faith that we are. I need to, what should humble me is to remember that Bill is praying the same prayer I am. Because he needs to forgive me. Sometimes I think, oh, I'll be the forgiving person. But the reality is there's, there's brokenness and things I do that hurt each other, that hurt you. So I need to recognize that if I say with, I'm, out, I'm without sin, I deceive myself. The truth of God is not in me. And the reality is I don't like to think about the way I hurt others, where I incur debts on others, the way I trespass against others, the way I sin against others. I like to think I'm peachy peen, but the reality is God is calling Bill to think about how he needs to forgive me and I'm being called to remember how I need to forgive Bill because that's how I receive my forgiveness. Wouldn't you want to be part of a family where forgiveness flows freely? Since the beginning of the church, this is the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus knew that we would need forgiveness. Jesus knew that we'd need to forgive each other. And Jesus tells us, this is the way you're supposed to pray. This is the way to find freedom. Not because God is an ogre. I think about this in terms of forgiveness in my family. Is like, I want my kids when things are going wrong to be able to say, this isn't going the way it's supposed to. I didn't do it right. Say, oh yeah, I want the best for you. Let's repent. Let's turn towards the ways of the kingdom again. Let's turn towards life again together. And then Jesus continues and says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil. Now, this is one of those passages that really kind of gets people up in arms and kind of twists them. It's like, I don't know what to make of that. But here's a reality we all face as a Christians, as people who choose to follow Jesus, is that we will encounter trials in our faith, testing in our faith. In James 1, verses 2 to 4, I don't have it on the screen, but it says, Consider it my pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And perseverance happens when you hit difficulty. And how many of you have experienced that you've gone through difficulties in your life and God has used that difficulty to stretch your faith and grow you? 
that been true for any of you? In addition to knowing that we're going to come across temptation and difficulty, there's this prayer that Jesus teaches us because in addition to facing difficulty in our life, there's also something known as spiritual evil in this world. And this is the point where some people go, oh, I don't know if I don't want to say about that because that sounds weird. Have you ever met someone who thought that way? Ah, uh, that's weird. Here's, the, here's just the thing, though. The Bible clearly teaches there are unclean spirits that does, and evil spirits, and even there's such a thing as Satan, a devil, one who pursues destruction and death and not our good. Not every spirit is a good spirit. Not every spiritual experience you can encounter in this world is a good spiritual experience. I've talked to psychologists before. I've had psychologists who friend. I've talked to others. And of all the people in this world who kind of look out for weird stuff, you know, I know some psychologists who'd say, eh, I don't know. And you'd think they'd be the people who are most hesitant around some of this stuff, and some of them might be. But I've talked to psychologists, even non-Christian psychologists, who say, yeah, there are people who are just kind of messed up in the head or have issues, or working through their stuff, that's fine. But then there's been times when I felt evil walk in the room. And it's different. Some of you have had experiences like this where it's not just a matter of somebody struggling with an issue, but there's sometimes when spiritual evil has put someone in bondage. Jesus talks about this. Jesus talked on the night he was betrayed. He was talking to Simon Peter and he's saying, he said this to him. He says, Simon, Simon. And that's Peter's real name. Jesus gave him the nickname Peter and it kind of stuck. When Jesus gives you a name, it sticks. Uh, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, or basically when you've come through the trial, strengthen your brothers. Jesus was saying that in the midst of the difficult time, the enemy of Simon's soul wanted to seek to destroy him. And Jesus says, I have prayed that you'll persevere. I've prayed against those powers of darkness that would want to destroy you, that you might have victory. And you know what Jesus says when he teaches us to pray? He says, you need to pray, saying, lead me not into temptation. When trials come, do not let me overcome. Keep me from the evil one. Keep me from spiritual darkness. Lord, help me to persevere when difficulty comes my way and guard my faith. Because difficulty, I can promise you, will come your way. Adversity will come your way. In fact, even there will be forces that come against you to try and destroy you. And Jesus says you need to pray about that. And then we have the benediction that the church has used. It was not something Jesus said, but even when you read that Didache that's written in the late 100s AD, this is for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Which is basically some words that you can find some of these words in Revelation and other prayers. They're kind of put together and it's kind of a, a capper, but the prayer Jesus taught us to pray kind of ends before that, but it's still nice and we use it just like we sing the worship songs on Sunday. They're nice songs, we use them, but they're not Jesus' words, but they're good. All right. So here's the big thing. I've just kind of recapped. Here are the big things that you see inside of the Lord's Prayer. But if the heart of my message was to come to one thing today, I want to center in on this. And this is what I want to say to you and I want to reflect on for a few minutes. And here's the point. It's all from Luke 11, verse 2. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. 
This is not going to be really complicated, but I, want, I hope we all get a hold of this. Jesus' prayer is not made to be studied. It's made to be prayed. Can I say that again? Jesus' prayer is not made to be studied, but to be prayed. There's some things that are good to know. They're good things that are knowledge, that is, yeah, it's good to know how this works and how that is and have understanding. And don't get me wrong, I don't think you can't study the Lord's Prayer. But when Jesus was teaching his disciples, when somebody said, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus said this, when you pray, say. He didn't say, here's some good things to know when you're praying. Did you know that God's your Father? Did you know that? Did you know he cares about you and here's some teaching about that? Did you know that the kingdom is coming? The kingdom is coming. I'm here to bring God's kingdom on earth. I'm here to bring the reign of, of, God, of the ways of the kingdom to earth. You know, forgiveness is important. Forgiveness is kind of an important thing. You should think about that. Confessing that you need forgiveness and recognizing that we're required to forgive other people as a consistent part of your Christian walk, that's a good thing to know. He didn't give them a fact sheet. He said, when you pray, say. Sometimes I've read this prayer and thought about this prayer and contemplated this prayer, but the people in the early church understood this is the way Jesus wants us to speak. This is the kind of things he wants us to say. And so the best way to learn about prayer is not to study the prayer or read the prayer. The best way to learn about prayer, to gain depth in prayer, I'm going to tell you what it is. Pray the prayer. Pray the prayer. Maybe that's why in the Didache they said, you know, the Didache is not Bible. It's just telling us how early Christians dealt with some things. They say, you should maybe pray this three times a day. So you say, oh, I'm not into ritual like that. So, you know, I don't think it'd do you any harm. You know what I did? Yeah, I'm going to tell you what I did. Oh, oh, my phone's over there. Yeah. I set a little alarm on my watch. You know what I'm doing? When I wake up in the morning, I changed my normal alarm from like, get out of bed, you lazy son of a gun, to the Lord's Prayer. This is what I'll say on my watch in the morning. You know what I'm going to do? I've, I've chosen this. I invite you to try it with me. When I wake up in the morning, before I get out of bed, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Around lunchtime, I think I'll do it again. Before I go to bed, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes when we want to grow in our prayer life, we make things really complicated. We try and figure out systems. And I'm, I'm all for the freedom to say whatever I want. I, there's a beauty that I can tell God, whatever's on my heart at any time. We're called to that. But Jesus teaches us to pray and says, when you pray, say this. And I'm not saying just recite. I'm not just, just saying memorize. I'm saying take these items and make them the skeleton around which you build your prayer life. You know, we've taken some time since the beginning of the year to encourage everyone to read in the Gospel of Luke because we want everyone to re-experience or experience for the first time who Jesus is. And if you've not been reading with us, don't try and catch up. But if you go to ssc.church reading, you can find our reading plan. We're reading together. Today's reading is on Friday, so you'll have a chance to reflect on what we just looked at today. So we're taking this season to reflect on Jesus. Well, we're coming into another season in, in church tradition called the season of Lent. And it's a season, the days before Easter, when Christians give attention to their need of God, to prayer and fasting and reflecting on Jesus' journey to the cross. 
And it begins on Wednesday the 22nd. And actually, we gave you a little handout about it. It's a pretty handout. If you didn't get one, get one on the way out today. It's a season when traditionally the church takes time to focus on prayer and fasting and Jesus. You know what? One of the things, maybe you might want to make it part of your Lenten practice. You know, I think I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer a few times a day. I want to try and pray and get to know God better. We're going to talk more about prayer across Lent, but I do want to highlight this to put it on your calendar on Palm Sunday weekend, April 1st and 2nd. We're going to have a a time of prayer and fasting as a church. So Saturday night, we're going to have a prayer kickoff service, and then the church will be open through the night. We'll have places where you can sign up, and we're just going to have people pray through the night. Jesus prayed through the night. Why don't we give it a shot? So we're going to pray through the night, and then on Palm Sunday, we're going to have a combined prayer service at 11 a.m., one service that day, and it's going to be a time of prayer and worship together. We're going to do that. But here's, here's the thing I want to say. I want to grow in prayer. I think about my grandmother and just what it was like to sit next to her. I, I want to end kind of where I began. I think about what it's like to sit with somebody who prays, who really prays, and knows Jesus. And there's just this, there's this peace and depth to a prayer life that is just, you can't help but notice when you see it. And that's what the disciples saw in Jesus probably 10 or 100 fold over what I would know from my grandmother. Because he was Jesus for crying out loud. And Jesus says to his disciples when they say, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. Jesus says, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. This season coming up to Easter, maybe you'll do it the rest of your life or maybe you'll do it up to Easter, but if Jesus says this is the way to pray, why don't we pray the way Jesus says? I feel like a Dr. Seuss book. There's a lot of rhyme in that. Why don't we pray the way Jesus says? So today, here's the challenge I have for you. We serve a God that embraces us and loves us, that looks forward to having us come before we get there, who wants to bring his kingdom to earth and rule in us and live through us and provide for our needs and forgives us and tells us to be the people who forgive and who wants to guard us from the plans of the enemy for our soul. Why don't we be a people that prays and lives into that? As we close today, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. But I'm not going to recite it. I'm going to pray it. Which means I'm going to freeform around it. And think about what I'm saying. And I'd encourage you this year, this next while, why don't you take the challenge? I know I talked to Pastor Werner, said, so I'm going to do that too. Why don't you join us in taking some time over the next several weeks leading up to Easter to say, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Maybe three times a day. I don't think you'll ever regret giving it a shot. Amen? Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, our Father who art in heaven, Lord, I thank you that you are our Father. You are the generous and good Father that succeeds where earthly fathers would fail. You are looking for us, that you, that you welcome us that you joy in our embrace, even in the same way that my heart is warmed when my daughter sits beside me and puts her head on my shoulder. 
God, may we begin to realize that you are one who welcomes us like that. We pray that, that your name would be recognized and holy and hallowed, God, that people would look and want to know more about you because they see in the world, God, your kingdom come. They see your will being done. God, may people look at my life and look at our lives and look at our families and look at our homes and see your kingdom present and say, there is something to that. Holy is his name. God, may we see your rule and reign in our life so much that people would want to celebrate and know you. God, we pray that you would provide for our needs. God, as we pray that you tell us, God, we can ask that. God, we also think of the people who are in such need in Turkey and in Syria, Lord. God, we don't even know how to begin to pray for the magnitude of something as big as that, God, where there are people who are dying, God, people who are mourning, people who are grieving. God, we pray your kingdom would come even there that your will would be done even there. God, we pray for the, the people we're in relationship, the workers that we know that live in that region of the world, God. First of all, God, we pray your protection and provision for them, God. God, that you would help them as they deal with the trauma that they've witnessed and they're experiencing, Lord Jesus. But God, we also pray, God, that you, you've positioned them there for such a time as this, God, that we pray that you would use them to bring your kingdom and your goodness and your life and even just provision and hope to people there. God, we just pray that your, your grace would be there. God, we ask you, God, I ask you, forgive me my debts. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. God, where we've, where we've gone off true north, when we've kind of gotten off the beaten path, off of the way, God, that you would be leading us, God, forgive us for that. And God, I pray that we would be generous with forgiveness for each other. God, may we not hold grudges. May we not excuse unforgiveness and just call it a grudge. Help us, God, to be generous with our forgiveness and grace to each other. That we might reap that back as we've been so generously offered it from you. God, and don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, we know difficulty to come, but God, we pray against the plans of the enemy of our souls to destroy us to destroy our children, to destroy our families, to destroy our neighborhood, to destroy our world. God, we pray against spiritual evil, God, and ask, God, that you would protect us, that you would guard our faith, that, God, when difficulty comes, just Jesus, as you prayed for Peter, that although we might get sifted, God, that you would protect us. God, protect us, God. We know it says in your word, God, you intercede for us, God. Jesus, we just ask, God, that your protection would go around us and our families, and even our enemies, Lord. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May you be a people who know God in prayer as you say and pray the way Jesus says. God bless you.